Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. In June of 1988, I graduated from high school. And not many days after graduation, our family traveled to San Antonio to attend the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, for a pastor's family, that's not an unusual thing to do. And so that was kind of our trip for the summer. It was our kind of last hurrah as a family before I went off to school in the fall. And there we were in San Antonio going to the convention, hearing lots of sermons, seeing lots of friends, and just enjoying the time that we had there together. The convention sermon that year, which is always the apex and kind of the high watermark of the convention, was preached by a pastor named Joel Gregory, who at that time pastored the Travis Avenue Baptist Church in Fort Worth. He's one of the greatest preachers that I've ever heard. And the sermon he preached on that particular day at the convention was one of the greatest, in my opinion, now who am I, but I will say in my opinion, it was one of the greatest sermons Uh, in American history, certainly in the history of Southern Baptist preaching. He preached a sermon that day called The Castle and the Wall. And if you want to hear a good sermon, I would encourage you later on today, just Google uh, The Castle and the Wall sermon by Joel Gregory and sit back for about 36 minutes and just enjoy one of the greatest sermons that I've ever heard in my life. Now, in that sermon, Dr. Gregory explained and told how a beautiful castle in Ireland came to a sudden and very strange end. The name of the castle was Castle Ray, and for many years it had been uninhabited. Nobody lived there, and so the castle itself had become uh, somewhat... uh, disheveled and uh, kind of beginning the process of falling apart. Well, as often happens when a building begins to decay like that, there were some vandals in that part of Ireland who began to, to take stones from that castle and to begin to vandalize and steal things that were in that castle. Well, on a particular day, a man named Uh, Lord Londonderry, who was the sole surviving heir of that castle, came to visit his castle and to see what it looked like. He had not been to that castle in years and years. And when he got there, he noticed that the castle was completely uninhabited. He noticed that stones had been removed from the castle. Other things of value had been taken from the castle. And so since this was his castle, he was very discouraged about that and burdened about that. And so he hired a man in the area to build a wall around the castle. And he said to this man, he said, what I want you to do is to build a six foot wall around this castle. And he said, I want you to build the wall out of the finest stones that you can find. He said, it's going to take some time and you're going to have to have some help. But if you'll build a six foot high wall around this castle, it will preserve the castle. It will keep out the, 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 the vandals and the criminals and the castle can, can survive and ultimately even be rebuilt. 
Well, the man began the process of building that wall, and Lord Londonderry went back to where he was living. And about three or four years later, Lord Londonderry came back to that castle. He came back to see what had happened to that wall. And when he got back to this part of Ireland, he noticed that a strange thing had happened. He noticed that there was a beautiful wall, but there was no castle. The castle was completely gone. And as Joel Gregory described this story, he said the castle had literally vanished into thin air. And so Lord Londonderry went to the man who he had hired to build the wall. And he said, I don't understand what's happened here. He said, I hired you to build a wall around the castle and to get the finest stones that you could find. My question to you is, where is the castle? The man replied to Lord Londonderry and said, Sir, you asked me to get the finest stones I could find in Ireland to build this wall with, and it just so happens that the finest stones is what made the castle. And so what I did was I took the stones from the castle and I built this beautiful wall. And so what the man had done was he had torn down the castle and he had built the wall. Now, After telling that story in 1988, the Southern Baptist Convention in San Antonio, Dr. Gregory said that, he said, I want to use that story as somewhat of a parable to describe what I fear is happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. And back in the late 1970s and through the 1980s, There was a conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Convention that needed to happen because our convention at that time uh, had been infiltrated by some theological liberalism that was threatening the very existence of our denomination. And many other denominations across America and around the world through the years have been Uh, not only infiltrated by liberalism, but have been destroyed by liberalism. By theological liberalism, I mean a theology that half believes the Bible. They pick and choose. This part's the Word of God. This part's not the Word of God. Adam and Eve weren't real people. There really wasn't a flood. There was really no such person as Noah. Uh, All these type things. Jesus may or may not really come back. That All these things are just told to make a point. It's theological liberalism. The, the theological liberal says the Bible contains the Word of God. And what they mean by that is part of the Bible is the Word of God. Part of the Bible is not the Word of God. The theological conservative holds up the Bible and says the Bible doesn't contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And so in our own denomination in the 70s and 80s, there was a conservative resurgence and much good came from that. What were we doing? What was the denomination? doing. The denomination was building a, a wall around the castle. Now, the castle, in that analogy, was the Southern Baptist Convention. But what Joel Gregory said in that sermon was so good and so true, he said, while we have done the right thing in stopping theological liberalism from destroying our convention, my fear is that As we build this wall, we have become so obsessed with the wall, we have become so angry with those who disagree with us on theological matters, and there's such bitterness, there's such resentment, 
there is such ill will on the part of some in the denomination whose intention is good to build the wall. He said, to, and he said on that particular day in that sermon, he said, my fear is that if we're not careful, we're going to build the wall and lose the castle. We're going to build a wall to protect our denomination, but we're doing it with such anger, such venom, such bitterness, such resentment that my fear is we won't have a denomination left. It's interesting, when Joel Gregory finished preaching that sermon, Adrian Rogers, who was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention at that time, came to the platform, thanked Dr. Gregory for the sermon, and Adrian Rogers said this to all the delegates who had had gathered that day. He said, friend, in my heart, I believe we have just heard a prophetic word from God. God is saying to us that while we need a wall to protect us from liberalism, if we don't build this wall with love, if we don't build this wall with patience, if we don't build this wall wrapping our arms around each other instead of shutting each other out, he echoed what the sermon was, and he was basically saying, if we don't have love in our hearts, we may build us a pretty wall, but we won't have a convention left. Now, that was 1988, and the analogy was towards the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, today, I'm not preaching on that subject, but I do want to use the analogy of the castle and the wall to talk about our country. And while the analogy or the parable is not exactly the same as the one used that day to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention, I think if we'll keep that analogy in our mind, we can see at least a little bit more clearly what is happening in America. Now, I want to oversimplify from my perspective. And so that's what it's worth. It's from my perspective. I want to oversimplify what is happening in the United States today. And on this 4th of July weekend, it seems like the appropriate time to uh, say it. There seem to be some who look at the castle. Now, our castle is America. That's the castle. Most of us were born in this country. Others have moved to this country, but all of us love the United States of America, some love the country so much that they almost look at the castle through rose-colored glasses, and their idea is the castle is perfect, and what we need to do is build a wall around the castle and don't change a thing. Well, I think most all of us have a certain amount of pride in America, and, and we share some of that sentiment that we love America so much we want to protect it. But listen to me, friend, the thought that says, because I love America, because I'm from America, because I'm proud to be an American, uh, because I've lived here most all of my life, if not for most of us, for all of our life, but to take that one step further and to say, America is perfect and we need to build a wall around it to keep it exactly like it is, is just not wrong. Listen, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody is perfect, and America is not perfect. As much as I love America, I would be dishonest if I, and I don't think anybody would say, I mean, nobody's going to verbalize that. I just think sometimes we feel that way. We love our country so much, we just think it's perfect. America is not perfect. America, through the years, has passed laws and done things that have pulled us away from God, that have broken the heart of God, and so America... While it is our castle, and we, while we do love it, 
And while we do need to have some walls to protect our country, America is not a perfect place. Now, I think there are other people who look at America from a completely different perspective and they know that America is not perfect and they're not so much focusing on building a wall to protect perfect America. What they're looking at, they're looking at the American castle and what they're saying is, we need to just tear the castle down and start all over again. And there is that movement today. And I know I'm oversimplifying it, but you see these two extremes, on the extremes, you see this. Some saying, America's perfect, don't change a thing, build the wall. Others are saying, the castle needs to come down and we need to build a new American castle. And what I'm saying today is that both of those extremes are wrong. It is true that America is imperfect it is true that the castle needs to be refurbished. It is, new that, it is true that some changes need to be made, but we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't need to just tear down the American castle and start from scratch because there are so many wonderful things about America and about the American castle. And so what I want to do in our time together today is I want us to think about how we can build a better castle and how we can build a stronger wall. Now, when I say a wall, I want to be clear on this. I'm not talking about the wall on the border of America and Mexico. I'm not talking about a literal wall. That's the farthest thing from my mind. When, keep the analogy clear. The castle is America. What is the wall? The wall is the political process, the government, and the laws that protect the castle. When I talk about the wall, I'm talking about the Democratic Party. I'm talking about the Republican Party. I'm talking about the House of Representatives. I'm talking about the Senate. I'm talking about the Supreme Court. I'm talking about the executive branch. I'm talking about the government. I'm talking about the laws that protect the castle. And what I'm saying is, if we will do some very specific things, we can have a better castle that would better honor God and we can have a better wall to protect the castle so that our country can be what God would have it to be and so that God, God's will could come uh, in our midst. So if you have your Bible this morning, I wish you would open it to Psalm 127. Now, Psalm 127 is one of my favorite Psalms in the Bible, and we're going to just look at a small portion, just a few lines from this Psalm. But what I want to show you today are two different types of stones that we could use to build our castle stronger and better to refurbish our castle, and then to better build our wall. Two types of stones, just like that uh, wall at the Castle Ray there in Ireland was built of stone. We need to have some stones that we could help build our castle and build our wall. And the first stone is what I'm going to call the stone of reverence for God. Reverence for God. I fear that to a large extent, we have lost our reverence for God. We have lost our fear of God. Things that we used to would have been ashamed of, we're no longer ashamed of. Things that used to would have embarrassed us, no longer embarrass us. And we've lost our fear and our, the, of, of the recognition of the holiness of God. Before we look at the verse in Psalm 127, let me give you a verse out of Proverbs, chapter 9 and verse 10. That verse says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does America need? America needs wisdom. What do all of our political leaders need? They need wisdom. But if they don't have the fear of God, they're not going to have wisdom. And they're not going to make good laws. And they can't protect the castle. So down will go the castle. Out will be the wall. And so we have to have a reverence and a fear of God. Now in Psalm 127, look in the first verse. Because this is the verse we're going to look at this morning. And Solomon is writing this. Now, he's the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus. So Solomon knew about wisdom and he knew about leading a nation. He was the, uh, the king of Israel. But notice what he said. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. What was Solomon saying? Solomon was saying, you can pass all the laws you want to pass. You can build all the wall you want to build to protect that castle of your country. But unless the Lord is building that wall, unless the Lord is guarding that castle, you're doing it all in vain. And so that says to me that we need to return as Americans and as America to a fear and a reverence and a respect and in awe of God and the Bible and all that God teaches us in his word. Now, as I was thinking about uh, reverencing God and honoring God, I, I got to thinking about the Pledge of Allegiance. And I did a little reading and studying on the Pledge of Allegiance, and I learned some things about it that I did not know. You may already know this, or maybe this will be new to you too, but the Pledge of Allegiance was first written in 1892. And these were the words of the original pledge. This was the first version of the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. There's the Pledge of Allegiance in 1892. Now, in 1923, the pledge was amended, and the phrase, uh, my flag, was replaced by the flag of the United States of America. So in 1923, it said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That was our pledge in 1923. Well, in 1954, in response to threats at that time from communist countries and from the emerging communist world of that day, President Eisenhower asked Congress to add the two words under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. And so the Congress voted and they voted to add the two words, the prepositional phrase under God. And that led us to the 31 word Pledge of Allegiance that we now have Today, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. So the part about under God didn't get added to the Pledge of Allegiance until 1954 under President Eisenhower and the Congress that he worked with. I think that up until that point, it was understood that we were under God based on some things that I'll share later from the Declaration of Independence, but nonetheless, it wasn't there, and so it was added. And that says to me that as recently as 70 or so years ago, the President of the United States, 
the Congress of the United States said, we need to make clear as the leaders of this country, as the ones who have been entrusted with building a wall around the American castle to protect us, that in order for our country to be all that it can be, all that it should be, all that it was intended to be, we must make clear that we are one nation under God. And they put it in the pledge. And friend, let me say to you today, the moment we cease being one nation under God, in that moment, we are a nation that is going under. And yet, in our day, there has been so much of the reverence of God, the fear of God that has been lost. And I'm saying as we refurbish an imperfect castle, and as we rebuild an imperfect wall, we need to use the stone of reverence for God. That's how you know who to vote for. That's how you know what laws are good and which laws are bad. You ask this question, which candidate, which laws best represent God and the teachings of his word? Because those would be the candidates that would lead us to better reverence God. So that's stone number one, reverence for God. Now, stone number two is, is equally as important, but it is, it's an extension of stone number one, but it's different. It's totally different from stone number one. Stone number two, not only do we need reverence for God, but we need to refurbish America. We need to rebuild the wall with what? With love for our fellow American citizens. Now, we need love for everybody, no matter what country they're from. But since I'm preaching today about America, I just wanted to say it that way and make it even more specific because I think it has a little more punch to it. What do we need in our hearts? We need love for our fellow Americans. That's what Joel Gregory was saying in the Southern Baptist Convention in 1988. He said, in all of our earnestness, with all of our conviction to build a strong wall around our denomination, if we don't have love for one another, we're going to have a wall, but we're not going to have a denomination anymore. Because what did Jesus say? Jesus said, by their love, you will know them. It is not our orthodoxy. Our orthodoxy is important. Our theology is important. Our convictions are important. And that's why I started out with reverence for God. We can't compromise our convictions. But if we don't add to those convictions a love in our heart and a tenderness in our heart, even for people and with people who are different from us, who have different views from us, who look at the American situation differently, we all look at it through our own lens through our own perspective. But just because I see America from my perspective, that doesn't necessarily mean that's how other people are looking at America. And so just because someone else looks at America differently than I do, and, and their convictions are different than I am, that I don't compromise my convictions to accommodate them, but that doesn't give me an excuse to belittle them or to demonize them or to hate them or to throw stones at them, or to say, you're what's wrong with America. No, it is my responsibility as an American, but even more than as an American, as a Christian, as a child of God, to communicate to those who are different from me, who look at things different than I do. We may disagree. You have one perspective, I have my perspective, but I have to be able to put my arm around that brother. I have to be able to put that, my arm around that sister and say, we may look at it differently. But in my heart, there's love for you. 
There's, there's, there's no hate. There's no animosity. There's no bitterness. There's no resentment. There's no trying to demon. No, there's love. And that's what's missing in America. That's what Joel Gregory said he was afraid was missing from the Southern Baptist Convention at that time, or at least potentially he was afraid it could be missing. And that's what Adrian Rogers said was a prophetic word from God. And what I'm saying today is I'm afraid the same things happen to our country. We have our convictions. And especially those of us who are Christians, we're strong about our convictions. But we can't let our convictions cause us to hate people. Because what in the world is that? And if we do that in trying to be true to the Bible, we've actually disobeyed the Bible. Because God tells us in his word that it is our responsibility to love, to love people who are different from us, who were born, who were raised different, who, who look different, who think differently than we do. We love them because they are our brothers and sisters in this nation of America. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message and many others on our website, peacebybelieving.org under the broadcast tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.